Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. New York Sports Talk, long-suffering fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. Get ready for your fantasy football drafts. We got two weeks before the regular season starts. I'll be joined today by John Daigle of NBC Sports Edge. You can listen to our chat, talk about fantasy football, some of your strategy for the draft, whether it's picking the right running back, how to address tight ends, sleepers, busts. We got you covered. That's coming up in just a bit. Let's go dive into the NFL over-unders here. We're going to get ready for those with Joe Dalizio, the host of the Sharp Terror Podcast, as is tradition here on the podcast. That's coming up as well. Make sure you're locked into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. We're going to talk about the Las Vegas Raiders initiating a vaccine policy to get into Allegiant Stadium. So my thoughts on that and what it can mean for more sports as the Delta variant continues to give the United States issues. But we'll get all started with this week's opening tip. We're going to weigh in on the baseball here. See where we stand as we prepare into the final month of the regular season right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here on the podcast. Opening tip time. Getting ready for baseball talk as the month of September approaches. We are less than 48 hours away from the flip of the calendar, the final month of the baseball regular season. Yeah, there's three games in October this year, but you know what? September is all that matter now for the stretch run. And going through the standings here, there's not a ton up for grabs here, which is actually pretty interesting considering where things have been for the start of the season. I mean, the American League, the Yankees surge is sort of Stabilize the wildcard picture. I mean, they did what they had to do over the weekend. They split in Oakland. They're out in Anaheim right now for a three-game set with the Angels. And the Yankees right now have done exactly what you want them to do. They take care of business. They are six back of the Rays a month ago. They have the final three games down in Tampa to end the, against Tampa in the regular season. And you know what? You get there, three back. You can force a tie. Anything could happen. But if you get in the playoffs, you got the wildcard game, probably Yankee Stadium, Garrett Cole on the mound. Why not? I mean... The divisions are pretty much decided at this point. The Rays should win the East. White Sox have been on top of the Central for months, not going to get pushed at all. Astros are going to win the AL West. And you have in the wild card race here, it's basically a three-team race. I don't really count Seattle on this. I mean, they are technically four and a half back. Toronto's five and a half back. But they need to play more consistent baseball. The other teams right now, Yankees two up on the Red Sox. Red Sox two and a half up on Oakland. Those are the three right now jockeying for those last two spots in the American League. And I think it would be fascinating to get a Yankee-Red Sox wildcard game at Yankee Stadium. Potentially Garrett Cole against Chris Sale. That would be fascinating to watch. We'll see what happens here in the American League. National League, it's also pretty set up right now. The Giants and Dodgers are 1-2 in the West, depending on the order. The Brewers have won the Central. The Braves have come back from the dead, roaring through August and built themselves a nice cushion in the National League East. That's like they're going to go. You have the Cincinnati Reds, surprisingly, have surged past the slumping Padres in the last wildcard spot. 
the wild card picture in the National League at the moment here. You have the Dodgers 11 and a half games up on the, the Reds in the first wild card spot. So whoever loses the National League West is always in the wild card game. The Reds are up a game and a half on San Diego. Their schedule is much, much, much easier down the stretch. Cincinnati, you look at their schedule here over the last month of the season. I mean, as of recording, they're beginning a series of the Cardinals, which is tricky for them. Obviously, the Cardinals are trying to make up ground here. But after this, Detroit, the Cubs, the Cardinals again, the Pirates. They have the Dodgers in there. It's tricky, yes. Then look at this stretch at the end of the season. Pirates, Nationals who have rebuilt for four. Two with the White Sox, Pirates for three more. That's a lot of wins that this team can load up on. I think the Reds are in very good shape here. San Diego, obviously disappointing because of the injuries and all the talent they have there, but they are still in the mix. They are three and a half. They are a game and a half behind the Reds. The Cardinals are three and a half games back of them, but again, only three or five hundred. They have to see them make two more noise. Phillies, two over, four back. And then there are the Mets. 63-67, entering August 31st, two with the Marlins, uh, the doubleheader. They have had a rare good weekend in August. They won two out of against the Nationals. In fact, five of their wins in August are against the Nationals. They only have four wins against the rest of the league in the month of August. That's a problem. But are we talking today about what's going on here with the Mets, with their push to try and make things relevant and make that last series in Atlanta count? No. We are instead are going to be talking about the thumbs down. This stupid movement led by Javier Baez with Francisco Lindor, Kevin Pillar playing along as well, of the Mets trying to stick it to their fans who are booing them for giving up 12 and a half games in the standings this year month. Let's listen to Javi Baez post-game on Sunday when he was asked about the thumbs down. It's a boo that we get, you know? I mean, like, we're not, we're not much change. We're going to struggle, you know? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna struggle seven times out of, out of 10. And and you know, it just it just feels bad when 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 we strike when I strike out and I get booed, you know it doesn't really get to me. But like I want I want to let them know that when we success we're gonna do the same thing to to know how to to let them know how how it feels, you know. Because if we win together, then we we gotta lose together, you know. And 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 the fans are really big part of it. So, um, in my case, they they gotta be better, you know. I I play for the fans and I love the fans, but you know if. If they're going to do that, they, they're just putting more pressures on the team. And, and that's, not, that's not what we want. So are, is that a thumbs down to fans then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to let them know that, that when, we, when we don't get success, we're going to get booed. So we, they're going to get booed when, when, we, when we success. And uh, 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 is that something you came up with? Because I've noticed it sort of caught on with a lot of players. But it, I, you were the first person I noticed doing that. Yeah, I mean... It was it was my opinion, you know, and, and it's just how I feel, you know. Like like I say, I, I love the fans and I, I like I, I like playing for the fans, but we can't have our fans against us. Okay, audio courtesy SMY in the post game presser here, but let's point out a couple things here. Javier Baez has been here for about five minutes. He got traded for the deadline. He played a couple games, got hurt, missed eleven games, came came back, hit four home runs. He's had some exciting moments. He's done a lot of stupid things as well. Swinging at pitches 20 feet from the strike zone. He's had some fielding errors. He's had his ups and his downs. He's here for five minutes, and he's calling out the fans, saying the fans aren't giving them enough support. What exactly are you hoping to accomplish here? The fans pay a lot of money to watch these baseball games. 
the fans who are going there, let's say you bring a family of four to the baseball game, between your tickets, food, your parking, you're spending well north of $200 on a good night at City Field. And you're going out there, and this team is falling apart. They're getting three hit by a mediocre Washington team. You're seeing guys striking out the bases loaded. You're seeing people stare at fastballs out of the middle and chasing pitches way out of the strike zone like Mr. Baez likes to do here. What do you expect them to do? These are New York fans. They will boo you if you do not get the job done. They pay their money. They can boo you within reason. Is it stupid? Sure. Booing is not exactly, you know, helping the players, but it's more a symbol of the fans' frustration. And this group has given them plenty to be frustrated about. I've been over plenty of times about all the strange quotes coming out of that locker room about how we got this. Don't just believe. No. Trust the process. Smile. You're watching baseball. This team has gone from a 77% chance at the postseason at the All-Star break. They were 47 and 40 at the break. Now they are 63 and 67. They have a 2.4% chance of the playoffs. What exactly are the Mets fans smiling about? Why are they being super positive about this team? Why? And you have the stones to say the fans need to be better. Why? What have you shown the fans to say, okay, we deserve your approval, your applause at all times. Surely it can't be this winning magical run of baseball you've been playing for the last month and a half. Surely not. And the basic rule of baseball here and basic rule of business, the customer is always right. And without the customers, there is no need for Javier Baez or Francisco Lindor or Kevin Pillar make millions of dollars playing baseball. So, of course, the Mets came out Sandy Alls about a strongly worded statement that night saying it's disrespectful to the fans. They spend their money. They have the right to express their frustration however they want within reason. And we will be talking to the team. And this is all just so irritating and so frustrating. And we have people saying in, the, in that clubhouse, it's the media's fault. You told the media what you were doing. What did you expect them to do? Not report on what how your bias told them? Come on now. The other thing that concerns me here is that obviously Francisco Lindor is a part of this. And he's a guy who is going to be here for the next decade. This is not Javier Baez who basically kissed his chance of getting Steve Cohen's millions goodbye with with that move. Francisco Lindor is here for the next decade because of that $340 million contract he signed. And this is a guy they expect to be the leader of this team. Remember, he's already gotten in a fight in the clubhouse with Jeff with Jeff McNeil over the rat, raccoon stupidity back in May, I want to say that was. That's already happened. And now we have this where he's doing the thumbs down to basically say the fans are not supporting us enough. And he said in the past the fans booing him is bothering him. This is a tough market. You got to be able to take it because the fans will let you know if you're not doing your job. But if you come through here, you're a god. Just ask the 1986 Mets. They are rock stars in this town. Ask Mike Piazza, who admitted several times in interviews that when he came in 98, he struggled initially. He got booed at the beginning. He could have taken the money somewhere else and left the town. He said, you know what? I want the challenge. He re-signed, became a folk hero in New York. 
If Francisco Lindor is having this many issues this early in his Mets tenure, that's a problem. And the other thing that's annoying about this, at the end of the day, is this being overblown? Probably, but think about this. You had a rare good weekend in New York. You won two out of three here. You still have 12 more games in a row with the Marlins and the Nationals trying to get yourself back in this thing. And what are we talking about today? Are we talking about how we're going to match up here, how the pitching is going to do, if the bats really woke up after those last two games? No. We're talking about the Mets versus their fans. This is the circus that never leaves town. This is a distraction that this team did not need. And it was self-inflicted by these players who, again, I've been saying as many times, do not live in the land of reality. And the fair is not all of them. Trevor May has been on Twitter. He's been engaging with the fans. He's been having active conversations. James McCann has been acknowledging reality in his press conference when he talks. The manager, I don't know what the manager's doing here. The manager claims he has no idea what's going on here, which is not good. And probably another sign he won't be back after this year. But this clubhouse culture is not good. And this group has won nothing. They won 86 games in 2019 and missed the postseason. Last year, they did not make the playoffs in the expanded field of eight teams per league. They not only missed the playoffs, despite getting all the help they could possibly want down the stretch. All of it. And they could not win their own games. This year, they were in first place for 90 days with a mediocre division saying, here, take it. Go to the playoffs. And they said, nah, we're good. Atlanta, you can have it. And Atlanta has responded. They've gotten red hot. They've taken the challenge. They're up eight games on the Mets in the loss column. What do you think is going to happen here? Why do you think the fans are booing? Think about that, guys. Instead of talking about, you know, we got the bats going here. Michael Conforto with a big home run. Ken Pilar homer twice. Javier Baez and a moonshot Sunday. Instead, we are talking about the fans getting thumbs down from the players. You get the players feel they're being too hard on them. At this point, Go win games and shut them up. If you want to prove it to yourselves and use that as motivation to say the fans are against us, do it internally. Don't be dumb enough to tell us the press and create a whole sideshow circus that you don't need. Come on now. We'll see what's happening with this team in just a bit, but we'll get to the fancy football now with NBC Sports Edge's John Daigle right after this. Offensive line. Done all right for himself. McCaffrey picks up the first down, has some room, makes a man miss. Christian McCaffrey in the open field, inside the 30, inside the 20. McCaffrey touchdown. 76 yards for CMC. All right, we are back here talking fantasy football today. Your drafts are coming up over the next couple of weeks. Join me today. Somebody whose work you can read here in the NBC Sports Fantasy Edge magazine, and he contributes to NBC Sports Fantasy coverage. John Daigle is here. John, how are you? Great. How are you doing, Mike? Pretty good. I also give the plug out to the audience. I do my fantasy research every year. I grab a couple magazines. I grab your magazine this year. You guys do a great job in that stuff. Help me really get ready for my draft. Thank you. I appreciate it. And for those who uh, are not going to stores for whatever reason, not getting the magazine, just know it's also available as an online draft guide at NBCSportsEdge.com. You can use the promo code Daigle10 and still get 10% off right now on the homepage. That sounds good. But definitely let that link that to the audience as well. And I want to start off here because obviously we're getting ready for the season. 
COVID's still an issue a little bit in fantasy, not as much as it was last year when we had no vaccines, but considering right now we have situations where there are some big-name fantasy players who you might know might not have gotten the vaccine, do you, you fact that into your draft prep all and say, oh, maybe if I know this guy is not vaccinated, but this guy is similar, I'll take him instead to reduce my risk. That's something you're thinking about. Not so much my draft prep, but it has affected the way I approach season-long betting. Uh, For instance, we know Lamar Jackson and Kirk Cousins just are two samples that not only are not vaccinated, but refuse to get it. They've made jokes, they've made social media posts about it, and then deleted them because, of course, their mentions burned to the ground. But we we know those guys aren't getting vaccinated anytime soon, for better or worse. So... Lamar Jackson is someone in the Baltimore offense that otherwise I'd be betting MVP tickets heavily. Uh, I think they're in store for a bounce back after last year and they regressed because of course they regressed. Uh, We do this thing in fantasy always where we forget that when a team is like absurdly elitely better, I don't even know it's the word than any other offense like Lamar Jackson was in 2019 MVP year with a 9% touchdown rate far and away the best. Hence why he won MVP. Then we chased and we draft last year's stats, which is that's not what we're doing. We're predicting, we're projecting. And so, of course, the Baltimore offense regressed. But over their last six games, that's why they averaged over six yards per play, because they all got healthy and bounced back. And I would expect that bounce back to continue throughout this year, except for the vaccination issue. So it's more or less making me halt all of my season-long betting because I don't know. Uh, But I will still target those guys in fantasy. Yeah, I wish you had talked to me last year before I picked Lamar Jackson early in the draft and that ended up costing me my season because well, he came on too how late. How about this? Uh, how about I tell you that uh, Josh Allen and the Bills are kind of in store for the same thing? And that doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just happens every year with with teams and offenses and players that exceed expectations by a mile. And so I am slightly concerned. I think people are overdrafting all the players for the Bills. Not to say I'm, I'm moving Josh Allen like out of my top five. Let's just say I have that tier of Lamar are Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, and Dak. And I'm putting Josh Allen at the bottom of that, whereas everyone else is treating him as the QB one or two. Yeah, that makes some sense. And start at the top of the draft here. Let's say you're lucky enough, you end up with one one in the draft here. Is it Christian McCaffrey? Is it out of lock? Or is anybody else considering at that pick? No, it's Christian McCaffrey. Uh, and you can't talk me out of it. And if you do a lot of drafts, you'll notice that Christian McCaffrey is the cheat code because it gets a little iffy from that point forward, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. But just the fact that you were lucky enough to draw the 101 and you can start Christian McCaffrey, it's it's so immensely helpful and it already gives you an edge in your league. I know the deal because I had McCaffrey in 2019. He was a league winner for me that year. So I know how important he is to have in drafts. But and even even last year, like if someone says, oh, they're going to scale him back so he doesn't get injured, like that's not true at all. Remember, he missed, I think it was six games, came back in week nine or 10 against the Chiefs, and he played uh, 90% of the team snaps, still got 10 targets. He handled every single touch until he got injured again at the end of the, in the fourth quarter of that game. And then they brought Mike Davis in again. Like they're going to give him all the run of the world. Chuba Hubbard is a fine pick in the later rounds but you pick him like you picked Mike Davis last year strictly as a contingency plan not someone who's going to offer any standalone value at all yeah I think that makes some sense also and he is the clear one one and we take him off the board here considering the rest of the first round is there a spot you would rather you would be if you cannot have the first pick like where would you prefer draft slot be I've been doing a couple of the high stake main event drafts right now at FFPC and I will say that where you don't want to pick is 12 
Uh, and, you know, it's usually a cliche answer because you think like the best players in the first round are off the board. And sometimes that's not the case. Maybe like FFPC, for example, it's tied in premium. So you're kind of hoping Darren Waller, or maybe Stephon Diggs or, or Calvin Ridley slip back to 12 and you can double tap two of those three. But if everything lines up accordingly, where like the top four receivers go off the board, that includes Calvin Ridley, where the top five running backs go off the board, uh, that includes Derrick Henry and both tight ends come off the board, then you're pretty much stuck making a declaration when you don't want to. Like you have to take two of Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, and Antonio Gibson or Clyde Edwards-Lair if you want to reach for him as well. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is there. So I will say I don't want 12. I would much rather be jammed in between two through five if I don't have one, because at least in those spots, you let everyone else make the decision for you. Like if you're at number four and it starts out CMC, Dalvin Cook, and Zeke or Kamara, you just grab the one left over, whatever. If you're at five, you do the same thing. You can choose Kelsey or Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams. You can nitpick between wide receiver ones. I don't care, but it's either probably Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams. And so, yeah, just in those spots, it's safer because everyone does the work for you. Yeah, that certainly makes some sense. Let's see the running back situation. I know that the running backs sort of be a very top tier behind McCaffrey, and then there's a big drop off there. So, like, where do you think that drop off is? Does it make sense, like, in most spots here, do you try and get at least one running back, if not go running back, running back those first two picks? My preferred strategy uh, is to draft what they call hero or anchor running back or modified zero, but it's basically taking your first running back and then treating him as if he is that elite player that's going to deliver enough fantasy points per game. The The dumbed down threshold is usually 23 points per game. Um, to deliver as your RB1 and 2 at the same time, while you then piece together who you're actually starting at RB2, hoping for spike weeks. That's when you start drafting the Trey Sermon, Javante Williams, A.J. Dillon, the guys we don't know and I don't even consider to have roles in the early, the first couple of months of the season, but are probably league winners the rest of the way. And you can piece together their matchups until that point. But the drop-off, I genuinely think happens at three. Uh, If someone says they don't want to choose between Alvin Kamara because perhaps the offense is just ruined after the Michael Thomas injury and less than stellar quarterback play, I totally understand. If someone... I think it's more recency bias baked into the product when someone tells me they're down on Ezekiel Elliott because like all signs point to Ezekiel Elliott bouncing back. There's literally not not one thing I'm worried about with Ezekiel Elliott, honestly. But if someone says they're worried about last year, that's fine. Don't take him. You can take a wide receiver. Uh, the same thing goes for everyone beyond that. Jonathan Taylor, perhaps offensive injuries around him could just cr- make that offense horrible, not to mention the injuries to Quentin Nelson and Carson Wentz. Um, also, Naheem Hines still in the roles. Saquon Barkley, of course, we don't know if he's going to play week one. And even if he's healthy, does it even matter? Because it's a Jason Garrett, Daniel Jones offense with one of the worst offensive lines in the league. Uh, Joe Mixon, are they even going to be in game scripts enough to make Joe Mixon matter? He has to be a workhorse. Same for CEH. Is he a, th- is he a three down back? Same for Gibson. Is he playing on third downs? So like the drop off legitimately comes after Dalvin Cook, even though I still take a stand on Zeke. I understand when people tell me they don't want to because they're not comfortable with that. Then you just go wide receiver and that's fine. Yeah. What about a guy like Derrick Henry? Is he could, does the workload concern you with him at some point where he's, he's gotten so many carries two years in a row. You wonder if the, if the wheels fall off at some point. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe not so much the wheels fall off. Off, but the defense genuinely has no talent at all. It's one of the worst defenses in the league, quietly. And they play, if you look at their first 10 games, they play just 
an explosive schedule of offense between the Chiefs, Bills. Uh, they open against the Cardinals. The list goes on and on. Cowboys as well. Like uh, they're in for some shootouts. And that doesn't really predict well for Derrick Henry. The touches you're talking about, of course, Derrick Henry has hundred has 827 total touches combined the past two years. The thing is, like, if there's someone to bet on that not affecting, it's probably Derrick Henry. Like, he's probably an anomaly monster. Having said that, I, I genuinely think he's going to get game scripted out in some cases. So it's not like someone I'm really reaching for, like, as an RB6. But if he's there at that point, especially at the end of the first round, there's value there. And I'll just take him because he's still probably going to get every single touch he can handle. Yeah, I also feel like I might touch on receiver, too, because I feel like wide receiver, like the top of the board has changed dramatically the last two years. You go back a couple years ago, it's Julio Jones. Uh, you're talking about some of the big guys, Michael Thomas. A lot of them have fallen off. So who are your top five receivers right now? Who's that t- tier one for you? Yeah, so I had already mentioned Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill at the top. And I actually put Tyreek Hill at the top. And it's because the Kansas City offense changed over the second half of the season last year. Uh, Tyreek actually averaged 10.7 targets per game in his last 11 contests, including 10 in the three postseason games they played. And that's because teams shifted and started playing a league high and two high safeties and thus forcing the Chiefs to not throw deep anymore. So what they do? You saw Tyreek Hill's slot rate increase. You saw his average depth of target drop because they just started pelting him underneath, and he's an explosive player. So, of course, he got tons of yards after the catch, and so they just jammed him targets. And I think that continues into this year, which is why he's my number one. Having said that, when someone says, my wide receiver two, Devontae Adams, is their wide receiver one, Totally understand. No argument whatsoever. Uh, He's actually averaged 11 targets from Aaron Rodgers per game and the 25 full starts they've made together dating back to week nine of the 2019 season when Adams returned from injury that year. So I totally get it. It's a high floor. After that, it is Stephon Diggs, who recall last year's first year with Josh Allen and Brian Dable, um, a career high, 166 targets, also led the league in catches and receiving yards. And then in the seven starts he made without John Brown, who of course went to the Raiders this year, uh, he averaged 12 targets per game, Diggs did. So a little bit more of a ceiling and meat on the bone than we think. Then it goes Calvin Ridley, all because we're taking Julio Jones out of there. And I understand we're plugging Kyle Pitts in. I don't know how to forecast for Kyle Pitts because he's a unicorn, but he's also a first-year rookie tight end. And as we know, they typically struggle because it's the hardest position in the league. You have to learn tight end, wide receiver, and offensive line all in like three-month span during training camp. It's just impossible. And then uh, fifth is still DeAndre Hopkins. Since he still led the team, he had the league's second-highest target share, 29% among all rod receivers last year. Yeah, it does sound like a good list here. I'll definitely have that written down for when I get ready for my drafts coming up here. And in terms of the other position that's very challenging, is always tight end because there's so little quality at the top. And you have the debate, do I take Travis Kelsey round one or at the end of round two? When do I take Waller and Kittle? And when do I avoid that dreaded like four through seven round tight end there? So how are you attacking tight end this year? I don't do the... Uh, wait for a tight end thing. And I, th- I think preseason week one proved that. Just we always tout the guys we like at the end in the middle of the rounds, but it just doesn't matter because they don't have sustained secure roles. Mike Jasicki played five of 13 first team snaps. And because they added Jalen Waddle, the Dolphins did with the number six overall pick. And as we know, the past two years, Jasicki's been top two in slot rate. So what happens? He can't even get on the field because he was a slot receiver and Jalen Waddle takes the reps. So there's no point in drafting him. Uh, someone also mentioned someone like Adam Troutman. 
especially me. Like I was high on Adam Troutman and two tight end builds throughout the offseason, but he was so good as a pass blocker last year, PFF's number one pass blocking tight end in grades that he's not playing third down snaps running routes. He's staying in to block on those snaps, which is awful. So again, we're we're just losing all of our favorite tight ends, Anthony Ferkser included, who only played in 11 personnel and would only come in on third down, which you know, maybe means he'll have spike weeks probably, but he's not really a safe option for tight end two builds. Um, so yeah, I try to get to one of the top four guys and the top four guys subjected. It's Kyle Pitts or Mark Andrews at number four. I don't care. I love Mark Andrews again. I'm on the Ravens bounce back this year, but I try to get one of those and then basically for redraft, not draft another one. Because again, like all our late round favorites are dying like they just don't matter you have to find someone who's just out there playing snaps and running routes and the guys we are touting historically just don't hit so I don't wait on that yeah I think the guy that interesting to me most is Kelsey because obviously he puts up elite production like a, a number one receiver level production so like I know you mentioned before like oh when you're at the turn of the draft this year if you're 12 like you haven't de- said having to declare oh I want like the sixth best running back or the sixth best receiver. How about just taking Travis Kelsey while those two picks? How do you think about that strategy? Uh, which strategy? Kelsey, then who? At the turn, instead of having to declare a receiver or a running back, like it's a lower quality than what you would like. Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, and at the turn, if Kel- Kelsey never makes the turn. So like, well, maybe in home league redrafts, you will. And if so, like that's someone I like to jump on. But, and let's say you're playing underdog or FFPC. If Waller gets there, I consider him in line, like eye to eye with Kelsey, honestly. And then someone like Hill or Adams, like you said, if they are there, the issue is that a lot of times they aren't there and then you're forced to choose. And if that becomes Ridley or uh, Diggs, like that's great. I'll take that every time and I'd be happy with that. But yeah, the first, the first second turn is just tough. You have to hope some of those players make it there. Yeah, for sure. Let's go to the quarterback position because obviously, you know, like you're getting, you're probably going a little early and you want to if you're getting Patrick Mahomes because you're getting that security built in there and you have that tier built in. There are, there's also the strategy of, hey, I'm going to wait to the middle rounds, get some value at the quarterback and find that guy who goes very low and ends up putting up huge numbers. Sort of like Aaron Rodgers did last year. He was probably like an eighth or 10th quarterback off the board. He ends up being MVP candidate. So who are some values you're looking at the quarterback position? All the rookie quarterbacks, honestly, uh, I believe they're all going to start much more game, many more games than we perceive, and they all have rushing upside. Trevor Lawrence uh, rushing upside, Trey Lance, Justin Fields rushing upside, even Zach Wilson's going to start 17 games no matter what, and uh, he averaged nine carries per game across 30 starts at BYU. So all of them are you can pick and choose between them. Let's say you pick someone like Lance or Fields though, and they're not starting week one. That's fine. Uh, I have been doing that in my redraft leagues and still taking either Sam Darnold or Zach Wilson with him because not only do they play each other and what I expect to be a shootout, it opened at 44. I think the number's wrong. I'm expecting it to close between 48 and 50 and both team totals to increase in week one. But also they both have easy, two of the easiest schedules through week six in the entire league. And the 49ers bio week is in week six. So you can really just draft one of them to hide, to mask for Lance, and then start them throughout that stretch. And hopefully Lance is starting by week seven. That's the approach I've been taking in all my redraft leagues. Yeah, that's interesting for us. Well, one guy I'm also going to get your take on the quarterback board is personally is Matthew Stafford, because obviously he leaves Detroit, which has become like a disaster for him. Now he goes to LA where Sean McVay wants to air it out. He has more weapons out there. The defense is great. So you always have concerns about game flow, where if he, they get ahead, they start running, try and put it away. What do you think about Stafford's fantasy prospects? 
Yeah, Stafford's a good one. Uh, it's it's just tough because he's jammed there with Tom Brady and Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow does have sneaky rushing upside. He did in college as well. But the statues obviously have to perform far above expectations. Like Aaron Rodgers was a top 10 quarterback last year because he had a 9% touchdown rate. And again, that's not really sustainable. And so that's why I'm not really trying to focus on him and draft him because you need guys who are going to offer something, anything with their legs. Even Justin Herbert has a little rushing upside. Even Russell Wilson, a tiny bit of rushing upside. So I prefer, even though I do like Stafford's outlooks, it's, he's more of a guy like I'll target the matchup in DFS than I'll try to start weekly because I think I need a higher floor. Yeah, that makes some sense. So let's go wrap up a couple of years because obviously everybody's looking for their sleepers here. Who are some sleepers you have in mind? Even like a handful of guys that you could say you're not getting drafted high and you think you have big years. Um, well, so someone, it's probably not a sleeper, but I'm still higher on the consensus. Uh, and I'll give some later round guys too, but this one is going like the fourth or fifth round. It's Clyde edwards Uh, There's real opportunity here for him to be a three down option. And if that's the case, he's the guy everyone thinks Antonio Gibson will be. Um, he played, edwards Lair did, on third downs in the first preseason game, whereas last year he did not. So we already have a leg up. Then also remember through those first six games last year, he averaged 17 carries and five targets per game. Then they added Le'Veon Bell. He got the ankle injury. So of course his workload dipped from that point forward. But they've already used Clyde edwards Lair as a work course before showing they do trust him and so I think everyone's forgetting that and still hoping these other guys are treated like that and so honestly as long as CEH gets the third down snaps he is an every down option and I'm banking on that so I'm much higher than him on consensus if you want a like really late round sleeper uh I think Kadri Allison in the very last round is someone who I understand will clog your roster at first, but it just makes sense because he's the direct backup. Javian Hawkins, the 5'7", like 187, 167 something, he's so undersized, is not someone who's going to legitimately uh, – like make a run for that backup job, let alone an every down guy. And Mike Davis, we know is a pass catching option, but also if we were higher on Mike Davis, we'd be drafting him higher. He's not budging at all from the fifth to eighth rounds. Um, and we just don't know about his carry role. And so just the fact that Kadri Allison is there and is much bigger and could be a first and second down option, creating a role for himself at the end of the season, is someone I'm willing to take a chance on in the last round as a sleeper and then clog him on my roster until hopefully he carves out a job for himself. Yeah, that's certainly intriguing. Let's go the other way here. The bus and maybe more regression candidates, like you mentioned earlier, because it's like some of those bills you're, you're concerned about they're being overdrafted. There are some guys who you would personally stay away from. So Antonio Gibson, another high one, I know. Uh, and again, I consider a fade to be someone like he's going in this range, thus I'm not taking him this range. Antonio Gibson's going in the first, second round turn. And it's just some something I, I can't get behind. Not only because he didn't play third down snaps over J.D. McKissick last year, he did not play a single third down snap over J.D. McKissick in the first preseason game. Also, he was only good in two games. Like he only provided RB1 value in two games, and both of those were the Cowboys over 100 yards. His next closest was 90 yards with two catches against the Bengals. And if he doesn't have catches, he's just another guy that everyone's overdrafting. Like you, you could instead just draft Joe Mixon. And uh, after Antonio Gibson, if Gibson doesn't get third downs. So I'm not really focusing on him. Other than that, um, someone else high, I would say, is Saquon Barkley. Uh, 
not even just the injuries, and maybe let's say he even plays week one, you still then have to evade and hope he's better and just outperforms like whatever Jason Garrett tried to do to drag him down, whatever the offensive line does to drag him down, whatever Daniel Jones does to drag him down. There's just too many hills to climb. So it's not someone I'm drafting even in the second round. It's just someone I'd much rather avoid. Uh, And in the later rounds, I would say it's pretty much Giants players as well as someone, let's say Will Fuller, who is battling injuries throughout camp right now. A new scheme I'm concerned of him transitioning into because I do get the feeling they're going to throw it downfield less now this year with Tua and just the fact that uh, he isn't healthy. Yeah, it's certainly some good stuff to know to get ready for our fantasy draft. John, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I hope you follow social media up with some of your coverage for NBC Sports. Yeah, at not Jay Daigle on Twitter, not Jay Daigle on Twitter. And then, of course, NBC Sports Edge. You can find my best ball tiers there. You can find my top 150 there. And then, again, uh, plugging the online draft guide, you can use the code Daigle10 to get 10% off. It's on the homepage at NBCSportsEdge.com. And we're constantly updating everything, the rankings, the tiers, everything else for you to be updated and ready for draft season. Well, I'll be one place I'll be checking every week I get ready to set my lineups. John, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Show me the money. All right, Show Me the Money is back for the first time since March. We are doing our NFL over-unders here on the podcast. And as is tradition with this podcast, join me today, the host of the Sharp Chatter podcast, Joe Dalvizio is here. Joe, how are you? Mike, I am doing well. Show me the money, baby. Show me the money. Absolutely. I mean, it's a long time we talked. I think last time you were on was what, the draft? Yeah, I believe so. It's been a while. Yeah, because I feel like after the draft, you kind of go underground in the podcast circuit. It's not really much happened in the football world. Yes, yes. I usually like to take a little bit of a hiatus uh, post-NFL draft. Uh, Granted, this season, uh, there was a little bit more to talk about when it comes to the Green Bay Packers. There's always stuff to talk about. Uh, I just choose to take that high, uh, that hiatus, but yeah, there was a lot to talk about regarding Aaron Rodgers and whatnot. So I went a little bit post NFL draft and then I took a little bit, uh, a little bit of a break, but we're uh, back up and running. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously they were the story of the offseason. You had all these dramas. Aaron Rodgers going to show up. Is he going to force his way out? Is he going to retire? Is he going to host Jeopardy? He ends up coming back. They changed his contract. Basically it looks like as he alluded to with Devontae Adams on Instagram before the season, sort of the one last dance for him with green Bay. So What's your thoughts on that situation that ended up resolving? So, uh, if you remember, we had this conversation on the air, off the air. I was in the camp believing that Aaron Rodgers was not going to come back and play quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. I thought the damage was done. I thought there was no way that they could repair this, and his time at in Titletown was over. I was wrong. Um, you said resolve. I don't think much has been resolved other than the fact that he's back in town. Um, I still sense some sort of animosity, some sort of not getting along when it comes to Aaron Rodgers in the front office, and I don't blame him. The one thing that I really don't like is why all the drama this offseason? Right, why all the drama, the storylines, the news stories that broke. That's what bothered me the most with this whole situation. Again, speaking as a fan, 
I'm thrilled that Rodgers is back because that's the difference between a Super Bowl contender versus a team that's picking in the top end of the NFL draft come spring. So I'm thrilled that he's back, but as you just mentioned, it certainly seems like this is the last dance. Yeah, it definitely is. And also now that we have these host of Jeffrey's five opening again, maybe he's doing guest hosting on the bye week again. I mean, that definitely could be a possibility. Um, I know I saw some articles saying that, oh, look out, you know, Aaron Rodgers could be on the move once again. I mean, read what you want, believe what you want. He's he's there, at least for this season, to play football with the Green Bay Packers. Post that, who knows? Yeah, did you watch any of his Jeopardy episodes? I did. I did. I thought I thought he was good. I thought he was good. He has that dry sense of humor that, uh, you know, it's an acquired taste. Yeah. It takes a certain says certain skills to host that show. I feel like he's got a lot of qualities for it. Oh, without a doubt, you yeah. have to be somewhat witty and be able to control the room. And that's one thing that when Aaron Rodgers reported back to camp, right? And he had that presser where he spoke to the media for 35, 40 minutes, and he was as candid as ever. He controlled the room, captivating, allowed, you know, let people inside. Um, much more than any athlete that I've heard in a while, right? So I, it's same thing, I guess, when you're hosting a show, you got to have some sort of a of a personality, despite many people thinking Aaron Rodgers doesn't have it. One, yeah, that's true. And I also hope that some of his magic picks he does rubs off on Zach Wilson. Recording the week after the Jet Packer preseason game had those two joint practices. Obviously, it didn't go great for the Jets. They lost Carl Lawson for the season and them, but Zach Wilson gained rub shoulders. Aaron Rodgers can only help him, I think. Uh, I hope, I mean, I've, I've read two sides of it, right? Um, many people saying, Hey, Zach, stay away from Aaron Rodgers," And many people saying, Oh, you're going to learn a lot um, from Aaron Rodgers in that week of camp. So it really depends on what side of the story or what you think of Aaron Rodgers, uh, in order to come up with some sort of a conclusion about, you know, how things went between those two. Yeah, I got to watch that game. So obviously, I was at this point not seeing many of your guys. I was not expecting Rodgers to play, but they basically had all the starters in that game. And Wilson played well, but again, like massive grain of salt because he played basically every single backup Green Bay had. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that that's overall for all preseason. I mean, take it with a grain of salt. Um, if you're, if your new rookie quarterback goes out there for three series and looks good, yeah, that's awesome. Right. Or if he plays well for a majority of the game, that's awesome. But, Odds are he's not playing against who he'd be playing on in, in a couple of Sundays. So pump the brakes. We'll find out who they really are in just a couple of weeks. Although I would rather have him be playing well than struggling. Trevor Lawrence did last night. Of course. Yeah. Of course. You'll want to see your, your franchise quarterback or your hopeful franchise quarterback do well out there, no matter who's on the opposite side of the field. Um, but with that being said, again, it means nothing because come week one, come week four, it could be a complete disaster during the headlight situation. Absolutely. And let's get to the Tassie Henry. We're going to do our NFL over-under picks for the season. We have three overs, three unders. Even the lines from FanDuel Sportsbook. The lines are current as of August 24th, 2021. So about a week prior to this dropping your feeds. These are the lines going in there. And obviously, we're going to put this out here. If somebody suffers a massive preseason injury in this, I will talk to Joe off the air, and if it affects one of our picks, I will update you on the podcast after the fact. But for now, I feel like we'll be in good shape. I think I did pretty poorly last season. I think I won. I don't remember. like. I, I think you won as well. Um, that's why I was a little shocked when you called me back for the over-unders. I said, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't a crowd pleaser, that's for sure. 
Well, to be fair, like my baseball picks are horrible this year, so I feel like I might be slow a little bit. All right, all right, I hope so. Yeah, and I think I I looked at it recently. I think I may have like one or two picks correct in most out of the six I did. I might lose that for the first time. Okay. Well, yeah. there's a first for everything, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to start off here. Since you were the guest here, I'm going to give you the choice. Would you like to have the first pick or the second and third picks? After that, we're going to go back to alternating picks. I will like to have the second pick. All right, so you'll have two and three. I'm going to start off here at pick number one. I got to go back to my list. I took some notes ahead of time about ones I like here. And I'm going to take one I think that you're going to be – you would have taken, so I feel like you're going to not be like me very much after this. I'm taking the Green Bay Packers over 10 and a half wins. I did not take that one. Oh, I'm surprised because I think just look at the number here. I feel like it's too low considering the division they play in where Minnesota had massive defensive issues last year. Chicago probably transitioning a rookie quarterback. Detroit's in a full rebuild. They won 13 games last year. You get an extra game. You're only number 10 and a half. That's a little fishy to me. I get Rodgers didn't go through the whole offseason. I like what they have set up there. I still think are they winning 11 games? If they lose two more than they did last year, I think they're going to do that. I think Getting to 11 is an easy number for me. So I'm going to take the Packers over the 10 and a half for my first pick. Yeah, I think it's a smart pick, Mike. I mean, I'll be I'll be completely transparent with you. I never like picking my team or against my team. So I kind of stay away from that. Uh, with that being said, though, all, all your points make perfect sense. Aaron Rodgers is back. And that was the biggest question mark. And it didn't matter what the rest of the roster looked like. And I, I think, you know, 11 or 12 wins is, within one extra game on the board is definitely doable in a weak division. For sure. Let's go to your first pick. What are you doing with your first one? Okay. My first one, I am going Carolina Panthers over seven and a half. Okay. A little bit of a surprise. I love what Matt Rule has, ar- what he's already done in Carolina. I like even more the fact that he's got a quarterback that he wants in Sam Darnold. And I know you watched a lot of Sam Darnold and you're probably done with Sam Darnold at this point, but I think a new start, a, a, some fresh air, a new sense, new scenery for Sam Darnold is exactly what the young quarterback needs um, to rejuvenate his career. I could definitely see it happening. He has talent across the board. There's no excuses now, right? We kept giving him that excuse in, in, in New York, that he's got no support system. Well, damn it, he's got a really, really good support system. And if he can't get it done in Carolina, then maybe, you know, he's not the quarterback people thought he once would be and would become. I love the Panthers over seven and a half in this one. Yeah, I think two things work in your favor in that one. Number one, as you mentioned, getting Donald away from Adam Gase and into a system that's more offensive friendly is, is good. Plus, the division stinks, like aside from Tampa Bay. And like, those numbers are all about the same for the other three, about seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, nine. So, like, you're banking that the Panthers, that team that gets the second place, wins double-digit games, potentially. So, I think that's something you could make a, make a nice bet on. For my second, I'm going to stay within that division and go Saints under nine. I've always said this, and this is my MO in the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win, especially in the modern-day NFL. I know the Saints, pretty sure Jameis Winston is now – you know, getting the nod, but whether it's whether it's Winston, whether it's Hill, whoever it is, they're not Drew Brees, right? They're not Drew Brees. That offense is going to take a humongous step backward. Questions at the quarterback position. Michael Thomas injury. He doesn't even want to be there, so who knows when he comes back and what he will be able to produce. I think this is a, a big letdown season for the Saints, so give me the under on that. 
Yeah, that was on my list too. One of my early ones I had on there. I love that pick because again, like the quarterback situation is just so unsettled because yes, James looked great last night against the Jaguars as we're recording this, but again, it's preseason in the Jaguars. It's not much to sell you on here. And they lost a lot of talent for that team because of the cap concern. So like the past, that's team sort of supported Drew Brees. Now you don't have Drew Brees and the cast around it got worse. And I feel like they will lose games to Atlanta. They'll lose games to Carolina. To Carolina. They'll lose games to Tampa. And their schedule is a first place schedule. So they have tough teams coming in. So I would not be shocked. This is like a six, seven win year for the Saints. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Like I said, it's not very easy to, to replace Drew Brees. And I know Taysom Hill's like, oh my God, superstar factor, like flash, boom. He, he, he gets the crowd going, but like, does that really get it done in the NFL? Maybe for a few weeks. You go full season, no thank you. And Jameis Winston, hey, if he was that good, he'd still be a quarterback in his own in his in his old place in Tampa Bay. But they moved on, and look how that worked out. Yes, they did. I'm gonna go up next for my next pick. I'm gonna take an, my first under here. I'm gonna take the Patriots under the nine on the win total. Do that, Mike. I, that's on my list. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I had to do that because how often does the team that wins the offseason actually dramatically improve their record the next year? Yeah, well, my main point was this is not the league that you just bring in free agencies and uh, free agents and win. Yeah. Right. And, and they were extremely active in free agency. And that's something that Bill Belichick usually doesn't do. Yeah, he does it. And I don't know if he did that because he knew, like, hey, I don't know what's going on with this team and what we have. So let's just try to bring in uh, a complete overhaul and hope for the best. But that doesn't work in the NFL. That doesn't work in the NFL. They're going to have. Close to nine new starters on this team. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a recipe for disaster. And and Bill Belichick's just trying to figure things out post-Tom Brady. Not only that, they don't have a quarterback still because Cam Newton did not look the same last year after COVID. And then everybody's like, oh, Matt Jones. Bill Belichick got exactly who he wanted in the draft. I'm like, Bill Belichick could not feel comfortable enough to go up and get Matt Jones. He just sort of read the board and said, Matt will fall to me. And I don't think... Everyone's saying, oh, he's Tom Brady 2.0. You, don't, you can't put that on a kid. And, like, he is very athletically limited. He's a pocket guy in the modern NFL. That's not a problem. And even if um, Cam Newton is back and he's ready to play, because, like you said, who knows? I don't see much left in the tank for Cam Newton. Yeah. Plus that receiving the receiving core, too. Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Nikhil Harry, Jacoby Myers. Like, who scares you in that group? Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. And he doesn't even have the running back to really rely on. It's It seems like a total mess. I could see the Patriots only winning like six games, six or seven games. Yeah, I think they're going to be way underachieving. So that's my first under on the board. You have one of each on the board. You're up for your next one. Where are you going? Do I need to replace my Patriots pick now? Yes. Well, you're going to have to give me some time, big guy. Yeah, well, you have other ones on the board so you can pull from and then just go back to it later. Yeah, so um, I will stick with the under. And I am going to go under nine and a half for Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys. That was on my list too. Good. I'm glad I took one off your list. Uh, I think it's the same old story when it comes with the Cowboys. Every year, high expectations. Every year, high expectations. And then they let you down. Um, Typically, I think last year I was on the over with the Cowboys because I was super excited about, you know, Dak Prescott looking good, Mike McCarthy, there's a lot of questions there. The defense, ton of holes. Mike McCarthy, does he take that next step in 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 another season with the Dallas Cowboys? Dak Prescott, how does he come back from injury? What does he look like? 
Um, I just think there's just so much uncertainty. The only thing that somewhat helps the division isn't the greatest, but has definitely improved, but I just don't see them winning 10 games this season. Yeah. I'm with you right there. It's because again, like, can they stop anybody? They have a lot of good teams that schedule, a lot of good offenses. Like, are they going to, it was telling they win every game like 41 35. I don't see them winning like nine, like 10 games. I think this is again, like sort of that nine and eight area, which is so weird to say at 17 games. But they're going to be right around that like 500 mark. I hate the whole nine and eight, eight and nine kind of a thing with the one extra. I love the extra game, but I, it's going to confuse me with the whole schedule. And I, excuse me, the, the final records and everything. It's going to drive me crazy. I'm not, it's going to take some time to get used to. But yeah, I agree. And, and again, Dak Prescott is everything there, right? If he's not fit to play coming off the surgery, who knows what you have? You could have a really, really bad team, and that's a shame because there is a tremendous amount of talent on that offense and young talent. So if Dak could stay healthy, get it going, and Mike McCarthy could get that offense going, it could be it could be a successful season. But that's also a big concern too. Mike McCarthy had Aaron Rodgers and those weapons and couldn't figure it out, so. Yeah, the thing I also think with that the, that team, also that situation in terms of just the whole board, I feel like there's a lot of those numbers as you're in the totals when you're looking at fan duels. Like a lot of them are like that seven, eight, nine range. They don't know what to do with a lot of these teams. Yeah, I, I don't blame them, especially with the extra game. Yeah. Right, I'm going to go next here. I'm going to take an over here. I feel like this one is, again, a slight risk because of the, the offensive line change. I'm going to take the Chiefs over 12 and a half wins because for me, like this is a team that has the best player on the planet. They have done a lot of work to stock the offensive lineup. They have tons of weapons. They have a good defense. Their division is getting better, but not quite there yet. This team won 13 games last year with Mahomes like dealing with some stuff. They have an ex- they have an extra game to play with. Are you telling me they, I feel confident they can go 13 and four or hit that number. So I'm going to take the Chiefs over the, over the 12 and a half. I don't know. I was pretty concerned after, after that Super Bowl and what that offensive line looked like and how Patrick Mahomes was impacted with that. Uh, but it's Patrick Mahomes, yeah. right? So if anyone could pull it off, it is him and the Chiefs. Yeah, plus for me, it's like, it's not like, if it was one higher, I would not have done it. It was like 13 and a half wins. I'm like, no, I can't do that. But I can see him going 13 and four. I think I can still that's, win the bet with that. That's tough. Absolutely. All right. Next up for you, you have, you have one under or two overs off the play. I have, okay. So my next over, I'm going to stay within the Cowboys division and take the Washington football team over eight and a half. I think this probably may be my riskiest of them all. Um, But with that being said, I think Washington, sneaky good football team. And sneaky good because not many people are talking about this team. Um, They have an incredible defense. Arguably top corner tandem in the league, and I think that's going to be huge for them. They could get after the quarterback with ease. Um, The other factor that I like on the offensive side of things they now have some stability at quarterback with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know he's been a journeyman, but you know what you're going to get out of him, and he's a safe guy to have there. Now, unless Father Time has has called and Ryan Fitzpatrick completely forgets how to play football and regresses tremendously, then this pick is going to look terrible. But if he could just control the game, and Washington will probably end up squeezing out a lot of close wins because of how good that defense is, and he controls the game, controls the ball. I think they have a good shot of getting nine wins and even possibly winning this division. Yeah, I had that on my list too for the oversight. I think with that one, I was looking at it, I'm like, 
you know, that Washington team kind of feels a little bit like those 2015 Jets if Fitzpatrick sort of stepped in on when Geno Smith got punched in the face and lost the quarterback job. And, like, they're in a weaker division. And eight and a half is not a big number. And, like, you could see them saying, oh, you know, win 10 games, win the NFC East. And, like, you could see that pretty easy because Dallas can't defend and I don't trust the Giants. So I think those are two that I'm very happy with. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think Washington's a team that not many people are talking about um, that they should be. They, that is very true. I'm up now. I still have two unders and an over left to play with. So I think I go back to the underside here. I'm going to go to one. I feel like this is a little bit injury dependent, but considering it's history, I feel comfortable taking it. I think the 49ers under 10 and a half wins. Cause I feel like that number is too high. Given the stack division they play in the NFC West is brutal. Jimmy Garoppolo, when he's healthy, yes, they're great, but he hasn't played a complete season. I think outside of 2019 since I think ever. And again, they have Trey Lance there, that little ticking time bomb of like, do we go the rookie quarterback if things are start struggling here? They had some issues. They lost Robert Sala at defensive end. That's going to impact their defensive play calling. I think the number's too high. I think this is more of a nine-win team than an 11-win team. So I'm going to take the Niners under t- the 10 and a half. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I actually have, um, they weren't on my list, but I do have a team in that division um, that I've placed for my under. Because of exactly what you said, the division's brutal. They're going to beat up on each other. And speaking of the Niners, uh, I was pretty impressed what they were able to do considering all the injuries last season. There's no way that that could happen back-to-back seasons. And if they do, geez, I feel terrible if, for, if you're a Niners fan. Um, but comes down to what, what you're going to get at the quarterback position. Who's going to end up playing that quarterback position? Can Jimmy G lead the way? That's for sure. And Jimmy G, again, playing basically for his job because Trey Lance is there. He's had some moments in the preseason. I just think also I like this pick. It's like if the switch comes, I think there has some issues with him getting used to NFL games. He basically hasn't played one game in two years. I know. I think it's going to take some time to get him up to speed. And if it's up to the organization, they're hoping that Jimmy G could kind of lead the way, stay healthy and be in there because there are going to be a lot of ouch moments watching Trey Lance play only because he hasn't played. Yeah, that's very true. And you are up still. You have one more over, one more under. What are you doing next? All right, so I'm staying under in that same division, and I'm going under eight and a half with the Arizona Cardinals. All right? Part of the reason why, just like you mentioned, that division, toughest in the NFL. Those teams are going to beat up on each other. I'm not totally convinced that Kyler Murray is your franchise guy. I'm not totally convinced that uh, Cliff Kingsbury controls the room and he's a guy that guys respect in that locker room. I think, yeah, it was was nice to see them play well at times last season. I don't see them winning nine games, though. Yeah, I think also that thing that people, I think, are overrated their offseason. Like the guys they brought in, I think, are way past their prime. Like, J.J. Watt has not been healthy in years. I mean, he had some good moments with the Texans last year. But, again, they won four games with him and Deshaun Watson healthy. And then what happens with that? Plus, A.J. Green hasn't done a thing in two years. And now he's being actually number two receiver out there. And I don't trust that these moves are going to help them out as much as they think they will. Well, look at look at last season, right? Seahawks 12-4, and four, Rams 10-6, and six, Cardinals 8-8. Eight and eight. 49ers 6-10. and 10. I think the 49ers are definitely taking a step forward. The Rams are probably right around that same team. Maybe the Seahawks take a little bit of a step back, but I don't think that's enough to boost the, the Cardinals one win, one more win than what they had 
um, last season. And like you said, the offseason moves would have been great four years ago. I don't know about now. Yeah, that's for sure. I'm. I have one more over, one more under left to go. I'm still going to marinate on the under for a minute, so I'm going to take one over that I think the number is so low that I think there's value here. I'm going to take the Las Vegas Raiders over seven because I still think there's a lot of talent on that team. I feel like yes, the offensive line reshuffling is a little questionable from John Gruden, but they have some talent there at receiver. They have some talent in the backfield with Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. They have some capabilities on defense and. It's only seven wins I have to top. It's not a low bar. If they go eight and nine, I win the win the number. I don't think they're bad to really bottom out this year. I'm going to take the Raiders at the over, my last over. I think the biggest concern there is John Gruden yeah. and the lack of success that the Raiders have had since he, since he took over, right? And, you know, some of his questionable draft decisions year in and year out. Um, I think that number is low coming off an eight-win season. With that being said, I think that division also got tougher too. I mean, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. You know the Chargers are going to have a better year with, with in year number two for Justin Herbert. And I think the Broncos are even going to have a, a, a better season. So it, it won't be easy for the Raiders to reach that number, that's for sure. Yeah, for me, it's just a matter of low, low bar to clear. I like those in the overs, and you don't have to get that much work done to get the over. Well, sometimes it looks a lot easier on paper than it is. Yeah, that's very true. And you have one left here. You have an over. What's your final over? My final over, and I can't believe I'm doing this, but my final over, the Cleveland Browns over 10 and a half. And I think the Browns have finally convinced me that they're they're here to play. They're here to stay. All that sucking has finally paid off. Here we go. It's time for the Browns. Uh, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, which obviously helps any quarterback, but will definitely help Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's got talent, talent on both sides of the ball. Granted, you're 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 go, you're asking for 11 wins. You start the season off against the Chiefs. That isn't the ideal start, but I think they have a pretty favorable schedule overall that'll help them mix with the talent that they have to get to that number 11. Yeah, it's an interesting one for sure with that team because I'm looking at the Browns and obviously people aren't way down the Steelers. So the number was eight and a half this year for a team that won like 13 games last year. So you're looking at it going, hmm, like they must really not be down the Steelers. And the Browns, obviously, they go to the playoffs, they win a game, they go to, to Kansas City. They could have won that game with Patrick Mahomes goes out. And this is one you, I stayed away from it just because, again, I want to see, can they maintain success? Because now everybody's going to look at them and say, oh, they're one of the teams that can challenge the Chiefs in the AFC. They, they can legitimately go to a Super Bowl. So I've seen many a team go through that. It comes out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, next year, they're winning like eight games. So that's one. I, that's the reason I stay away from it. No, yeah, I, I totally get that thought process. Um, I think the Steelers actually take a, a step back. Um, I also think this could have been a special, special year, a better year for the Bengals, but, you know, Joe Burrow coming off the ACL, who knows what you're going to get out from him, um, when he's going to be ready, how he's going to perform when he comes back. So there's a lot of questions there, but I look at the schedule. I look at the talent on both sides of the ball, and I say, if the Browns can't get it done now, I don't think they're ever going to be able to get it done. Yeah, that's certainly true. And the last one I have here is an under, which is challenging because there are several that I'm considering. I'm trying to decide what direction would be the best to go here because I could – take a big shot here i could also go local here i have one local angle i think could go under here i think i'm gonna do that i'm gonna take the new york football giants under seven. Oh, 
mostly – your New York fans, your New York listeners aren't going to be happy about that. And here, and this is the reason why, and this is something I've learned firsthand. A bad offensive line can destroy your season. And the giant offensive line has looked brutal in the preseason. They did nothing to address it in the offseason. They already had injury issues on it. They have a lot of good pass rushers on their schedule in there. And I get they play in the NFC East, but... Dallas has a higher-powered offense. Dallas can outshoot, outscore them. I get the giant defense is good. But at the same time, if you're on the field all the time, that defense can wear down. Like, if they're getting out there like 35, 38 minutes a game, they're going to wear down these games. And I think the NFC East, I get that they have great secondary. I get that the division is weak. But I just don't trust this team. And I get this. there are opportunities here in the schedule. But do you trust Daniel Jones here to make the big leap forward? Mike, what happened to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl against the Buccaneers? He almost died because of the offensive line. Okay. And Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, right? Yes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. sure. So, so, with that being said, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the best quarterback in the NFL. If you don't have an offensive line and time to throw the ball, it is going to be a disaster. And that's terrible for a guy like Daniel Jones, who's had issues turning the ball over, right? Uh, I mean, I know it's been more fumble-related, but still. If there's going to be teams that could get after you and get to that ball, and he doesn't have time to throw the ball, that's going to be an issue. Now, a lot of people said, oh, Daniel Jones, he's had no, he has no talent, no talent, no talent around him. Giants addressed that in the draft, addressed it in the offseason with Kenny Galladay. But if they don't have time, if they don't give Daniel Jones a time to throw the ball, it's going to be a long season for the New York Giants. Yeah, and that line scared the hell out of me. I know because I've had the last couple of seasons of my team basically destroyed because the offensive line couldn't get the quarterback up right. It basically broke the quarterback. And this is a, Daniel Jones has not done a lot to say, oh, he's the guy. He can survive regardless of what you put in front of him. Like, he needs structure to help him out. And I don't think they gave him enough. No, definitely, definitely not. Definitely not. And the thing is, if they struggle mightily this season, everyone's going to be looking more towards Daniel Jones and saying, did the Giants take the right guy? Yeah. Should they should they have gone to another quarterback this season? Yeah. I also don't like the fact they haven't, they haven't bothered putting him in the first two preseason games either. I get that some of the supporting guys are not going to be there because of injury concerns, but like, is he looked so great that he couldn't use a series or two against an NFL defense before the last preseason game? I understand that. Um, I think, though, there's a tremendous drop-off between your starter and your backup quarterback. And you can't afford in a preseason game to lose that that to lose that guy, no matter what caliber he's at right now. Yeah, I know the Giant fans will be angry at me, but I'm just calling like I see it. Like the number is low. I admit I could easily lose that one if they go like eight, nine or something like that. But I think the flameout's more likely than winning 10, 11 games. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely hear you on that one. All right. So to reset here, here's what we have. I think in the Green Bay Packers, over 10.5 wins. The Patriots, under 9. The Chiefs, over 12.5. 49ers, under 10.5. The Raiders, over 7. The Giants, under 7. So I feel like I got a nice wide range of outcomes here. You're all over the place. But yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't hate many of your uh, decisions there. Yeah, your picks here. You got Carolina, over 7.5. The Saints, under 9. Dallas, under 9.5. The Washington football team, over 8.5. Arizona over eight and a half and the Browns over 10 and a half. You basically played that middle ground pretty much all your picks except for the Browns. Yeah, I thought I thought I was pretty neutral when when making these decisions. I didn't try to go too uh too fancy or or um 
you know, I didn't try to go Lions, worst team in the NFL, give me the under five, even though I was really tempted to do that. But Yeah, for sure. So you want to set some stakes here, because I remember last year it was a sandwich. Would you like to duplicate that? Did you get your sandwich? I haven't met you. I haven't seen you yet. I haven't been down there enough. I haven't. I ha- We haven't seen each other. So yeah. I already owe you one sandwich. Yeah. So do we want to double or nothing? We could double or nothing. Or do you want to, you know what? I'm going to still give you the sandwich. I'm going to get you the sandwich because I'm, I'm a man of integrity. So we'll do that. And then the loser has to keep it food related. Yeah. Let's go out for pizza. Okay. Well, how about this? How about this? There's a new place in New Rochelle, cheesesteak place. Okay. You like cheesesteaks? I do like cheesesteaks. All right, so the loser pays for cheesesteaks. That sounds like a good bet. So I already owe you a sandwich from the local deli. Yes. If I lose this season, I'm going to owe you a sandwich, which you'll get your sandwich as soon as you come back down. Yeah. After this season, though, come December, or come January, rather, you're going to have to buy me a cheesesteak. All right. Just letting you know now. All right, we'll see how that goes here. One other number I want to touch on real quick is that we didn't address it here. The jet number of six. Like, obviously, the Carl Walton thing impacts that. Like, where would you put that if you had to pick it? God, man, that's so tough. And the reason why is just the uncertainty of what you're getting out of Zach Wilson. Yeah. Right? I think that's the biggest reason why I don't touch that. Right? I wouldn't touch anything with a potential of a rookie quarterback playing or taking over. I stay away from the Chicago Bears. Who knows? You know, I th- I give the same the same reasoning for the Jets. Yeah. Um, can Zach Wilson get them to seven wins? I don't know. Yeah. And I think six is the perfect number, truthfully. Yeah, because they won two games last year, and they're you guys to go from two to seven to basically hit the over. That that's a tremendous jump. And how much better do you think? The Jets got from last season to this season. I mean, they're certainly better. The coaching will help. The thing that scares you with the Jets is like their secondary is so bad that like the corners, they're starting very young kids. They get picked on by pretty much everybody. So like you're banking on Zach Wilson winning shootouts for you to hit the over. And that's a tough thing to to bank on with a rookie quarterback. Yeah, because I mean, they, their weapons are better. They're deeper. Can you honestly say right now that you feel that Zach Wilson's got enough around him to be able to even get into those shootouts? I think they can get in them. The question is, I don't know if their defense can hold. Let's do without Lawson because their whole thing was like, oh, if we can get to the pass rusher, we want to we'll protect the corners a little bit so they can develop. But without Lawson, the pass rush gets a lot less special. Who's going to be the, the guy that Zach Wilson's going to rely on offensively? Probably Corey Davis or Elijah Moore. Those are the two he's connected at the most at camp. So... Now you're you're relying most of your offensive production to be on two rookies. Uh, Corey Davis has been in the league for a while. Correct, but yeah. I'm saying you just mentioned Elijah Moore. Yeah. So uh, even if Elijah Moore is wide receiver two, you have a rookie quarterback and a rookie wide receiver two there. Yeah. I think the I think the loss of loss it would push me to the under though. To be my honest, you're asking for a lot for guys that have never played in the NFL, and there's a lot of pressure coming to New York. Yeah, I think the difference of the Jets is here. I think they could be in pretty much like all the games. They're going to lose a lot of them because they aren't going to have close. I think they'll definitely be much more competitive. They won't be a laughing stock like they were last season. Absolutely. 
yeah, we won't have these games where they're basically getting shut out in the second quarter saying, hey, like, you know, like we're getting, we're losing 27 to three. Don't bother watching the second half of the game. Correct. I think you're as a, as a Jet fan, as a football fan, you're going to be watching four quarters of football when it comes to the New York Jets, not just half, not just you know half the game. Absolutely, and this year also we're going to do the NFL picks once again, year number four. We have an 18th week of picks this year. It's going to be that's going to be fun. We get one more person in the mix every year. Any idea who you're getting on? Or I'm still working on it. week one though. We are bringing in. Fan of the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Buccaneers, Charlie Borges is coming on to talk to week one NFL picks and get ready for that Thursday night opener against the Cowboys. You're going to pump out his chest a little bit, still celebrating that Super Bowl? I mean, I talked to him in like, prior to the Super Bowl. He said, oh, like, I don't think we're winning. Like, I don't feel good about it. And then they won. So now he's like, hey, like, I got my one. I'm happy. Hey, I, I, listen, I'm, you say that when you get one. But once you get one, you don't want to settle with just one. Trust me. Yeah, we'll see what happens next week. Joe, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, people follow, follow you on social media at the Sharp Cheddar Podcast. Yeah, Mike, you could, uh, you, your followers, your fans, give me a follow on Twitter at Joe Double underscore. Do not forget the double. Don't forget it. D A L O I S I O. Sharp Cheddar Podcast available on all podcast platforms Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. You know them by now. Um, as the regular season approaches, we, uh, what we like to do is we dive into a weekly preview, a, re, a, a weekly recap, try to invite guests um, to break it down, learn more about the opponent, a little bit of gambling thing, uh, gambling side of things. So definitely check it out. And as always, Mike, we appreciate you. No problem. And coming up next, I'm going to the two-minute drill. And I mean, have you seen what the Raiders are doing with their vaccine policy for the stadium? Yeah. Yeah. I have. I have some thoughts. I'm going to share them right after this. The two-minute drill. All right, we are back here. Two-minute drill time on the podcast. Talk about the vaccine policy coming from the Oakland Raiders. Sorry, Las Vegas Raiders. I'm still getting used to the fact that they're not in Oakland anymore. It's so dumb that they're not. But anyway, they have a vaccine policy for the stadium because... Even though it's been nearly 18 months at this point since the pandemic started, it feels like we still can't escape the COVID talk. Whereas the Delta variant, the Delta Plus variant, the Lambda variant, the Yankees getting the variant, it feels like everywhere you're getting beaten over the head with the COVID talk. And the rise of the Delta is tied to the renewed idea of requiring people to be vaccinated to enter your non-essential venues, like your restaurants, like your movie theaters, like the gym. And in the case of some sports, Stadiums. The first sports team to require all fans to be vaccinated is the Las Vegas Raiders. Who last year, Mark Davis, the owner, said, we are playing without fans. We want all our fans to experience this together. So we're going to wait to bring the fans in. This year, they are now requiring you have at least one shot of the vaccine to enter for a game. The Raiders basically put out their policy last week. They said, if you have both shots of the vaccine, again, this applies only to fans who are over 12 years old, you're great. Come on in. Don't need to wear a mask. Here you go. Let's have some fun. If you have only one shot, you can come in, but you have to wear a mask. If you don't have a shot, they will give you a shot on site and say, okay, here's your vaccine. Here's your card. Wear a mask. Go enjoy the game. If you don't want to get vaccinated and you pay for season tickets, the Raiders are giving you the out saying, hey, we'll give you a refund. If you don't want it, that's fine. We can also roll your money to next year with an extra game. So you're getting 10 games for the price of nine, 
which is a pretty solid deal. The thing is here, this is a bit different than what some other sports are doing. Like the Saints are doing this, where they're acquiring either the vaccination or the negative COVID test in the past 72 hours against the Superdome. So LSU is doing the same thing on the college level. The Raiders basically said, hey, you get a shot or you don't come in. Simple as that. And obviously it's not applied to kids under 12 who can't get the shot yet. But this is something I could give the Raiders credit for here because they're concerned about the safety of their fans and their their, their uh, community as a whole. They have the right to visit and say, hey, we only want vaccinated patrons at our games. Like, we only want the fans who are vaccinated. And I know there are anti-vaxxers out there. This is something you're going to have to deal with more and more as dangerous variants suffer like the Delta. And now that the FDA approved one of the vaccines, Pfizer, permanently, not just on emergency authorization. This is one of those things where the rest, restaurant, for example, they can make you wear a shirt or shoes to enter the restaurant. They can make you provide proof of your vaccination. Going to a restaurant, a movie, a football game, that's not essential activity in your life. If you're going to the grocery store, you're seeking medical care, you're buying stuff at Home Depot to repair your home, that's obviously essential activity. But going to a restaurant for a leisure activity, that's not something you have to do to live. It's a liability for the businesses to admit unvaccinated fans right now because there are some people out there who will say, hey, I'm concerned about Delta variant. I'm concerned about COVID. I know people can get it. You know, they're vaccinated. Like, I would feel more safe if I knew that I was going to a group of people that was all vaccinated. The customers will drive that decision. A lot of the customers are vaccinated and they have some concerns. These decisions will not last forever. There has never been a requirement to provide a flu shot to get into Yankee Stadium, for example. There has not been an influenza pandemic in over a century either. While the COVID pandemic is going on, do not be shocked if more teams, more businesses start doing this to provide peace of mind to their existing customers. And again, I don't know if they'll work. We'll see if, how many people just like say, oh, I'll never spend my money there again. Or if they're back as soon as the mandates don't happen. But while this is still an issue, don't be shocked if more teams start doing this. I would not be shocked at all. And that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, uh, John Daigle, for coming in on the Zoom to talk all about fantasy football, give you some good tips for your draft coming up this week. I also want to thank Joe D'Alvizio, who was just on here doing the NFL over-under picks. That was a fun segment indeed. If you want to look at stuff like this podcast, including my look at what's going on here with the New York Mets and can they get back in the playoff race? I mean, the mess against them, but they still have time. There's some easy games coming up here. They have to make some hay. Check out the blog over at suffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. They make the podcast even better going forward. You can also check out my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual conversations from the episode will be up on the YouTube page. My chats with Joe and John will both be up there. You can also follow my, me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to have our NFL season preview, our week one picks with Charlie Borges and more. Until I hope you have a better week than Orioles fans.
This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.